0: I have to hit record, okay. <laughs> welcome to Casuals of <laughs> episode 76. I'm your host Ryan, here with the other host,
1: Hedge. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're losing it, we're, we're losing it. We can't keep up with ourselves. <laughs>
0: Listen, Hatch has imposed a time limit on me. We're in a tight schedule here. So we're gonna get straight into it. I swear, when you have to do something within a time box, everything goes wrong. It's a true pressure cooker situation.
1: I, I, I really wanna point out that it's like, everything that's going wrong is strictly on your end right now. <laughs> I've just been chilling here waiting on you to be like oh god oh god oh god
0: (laughs) um housekeeping let's do it you can listen to us everywhere visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info And then follow us on any platform you prefer or all the platforms. You can leave a like, a review, follow, comment, whatever. We appreciate it. It gives us some visibility so it helps. Um, And then you can send an email if you want to contact us at podcastcore@gmail.com. But the easiest way is to tell one friend to bring the light to the darkness by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. So what are we talking about today?
1: Uh, we are going to continue our dives into some of these short stories and comics, and we're going to look at Nami, uh, the, well, the one-shot comic of Nami Into the Abyss, um, and this is a really fun one to do because uh, if you haven't, we have a Nami Champion Spotlight kind of episode for ourselves if you want to listen to that one to hear her biography, but... A little bit of a spoiler for that episode. A big part of her biography is that she goes down into the into the trenches and abyss of the oceans to look after the tide collar. And all that we know from her biography is that she returns with the tide collar staff. There's no tide collar present, and no one knows what happened down there. But into the abyss is going to give us a little bit of an over idea of what happened down in the abyss when Nami looked for the tide color. Exactly. It's
0: more expansion, right? And it's, it's pretty well done for the story it's telling. Um, it's came out a while ago, But like Hedge said, we want to get to some more comics again uh, because the comics are just as good as the stories, which are just as good as the bios, which are just as good as the games. You know, they they have a good pedigree here.
1: And not only is it just a good little story to go through, the fact that it does flesh out like some of those question marks from the biography makes it a lot more entertaining. So if you haven't listened to our NAMI episode, go listen to it. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about as far as getting those extra details. And then we get some extra meat on it. Let's go
0: yeah yeah so as all good stories a story in three parts we start with part one here um, which we start with Nami coming down from the surface so the way it's set up is obviously her village is underwater right Um, but there are cliffs inside that water that go even deeper into the depths that they don't really hang out in right that's for the creatures Um, but part of this experience is her going down there so we're coming from Nami's point of view here this whole time and one thing she mentions as she's descending um, from the cliff is that uh, she's not afraid of darkness per se, but she's more afraid of the creatures that dwell in it because it's the unknown, right? And like most things, if you if you take right now in wherever you live or in your room, you turn off all the lights at night, you put a chair in the middle of the room and you just sit there, your mind's going to wander. And that's the thing that creates that fear. Um, and then she also says that she once in a while gets these flicker of light from these small creatures that use sound. They turn sound into light, but upon them glowing, that makes them vulnerable and they immediately get eaten by these creatures that like to dwell
1: in the dark, right? And we get to we also get a look of like the Rintero twist of a lanternfish. So it's not only that... Nami is looking at these fishes that provide themselves light so they can see in the darkness, but it also mentions that light is a lure. Well, it's used as bait for the weaker creatures to get eaten by stronger creatures. And she witnesses it just right in front of her after following this little fish. Of Like, oh, it's so cute, so pretty. <laughs> Nom. Um,
0: yeah, and this, and this kind of leads to the scene, right? Which is kind of a cool... Way to illustrate this first instance of true fear where she sees the fish get eaten and then a current current comes sweeps her up in it and takes her like back and forth and she loses sense of where she's at. Um, in the water and then she sees this dark gaping maw open and she's being swept into it with nothing that she can do so she's like it's over she gets eaten in her mind and then when she opens her eyes she notices that she's in a skeleton so it's the remains the carcass of a giant creature that we she was swept into.
1: Yeah and uh, like. The little bit of writing that's kind of like tell, telling the point of the story on here is having a lot of fun at it because it's like, oh, sometimes the ocean has a cruel sense of humor. So, yeah. like, this is like a good point as far as like really drawing the reader in to the story before we get to a, a lot of the meat behind it. But it's also refreshing to get to see Nami before she becomes Nami the Tide Caller. Yeah, because if the Tide Caller is not going to have an issue of these water currents being affected by temperatures and getting swept away. No, the tide collar controls all that crap. But uh, that's something that we, did, we don't really consider as far as Nami's journey into the abyss. Is that she didn't have any of that until she got down to the bottom. We don't know what happened down there, but she didn't have any of these powers. So if the current wants to sweep her away, it's going to. So yeah. it's like, Oh, that this, just like that, it could have ended. <laughs> it's that
0: easy. Um, but one thing she does is she sits inside, you know, the carcass of the skeleton kind of getting her wits about her is she goes back to her memories of being told what it seems like to be her mother telling her the story of why they pay tributes to the tide callers and why they give thanks to the existence of this, this uh, process. And, During that time, we get a shift in the art style here. The art style kind of goes to this old like Egyptian style, Mayan art style um, to tell this story. It's really well done. And that's one of the good things about our comic book episodes is after you listen to us talk about it, you can go back and read it because you can see the visual element, which is very important for these specific stories. But yeah, you get the shift in style and then she remembers the importance and she kind of swallows her fear and then begins to dive deeper.
1: Yeah, and having the illustration just really gives the story some added oomph. Like, it really gives you what you need to build more upon your imagination. Uh, And I do, like you were pointing out, how you get that kind of scenery change, which is impressive with the fact that it's all underwater. Um, It's hard for us to really imagine a scenery change without actively seeing it. And um, so it's nice to get to see that. But also, you know, going on with the internet meme of movie makers. We, we can't see in the dark. Yeah. Um, so even when we're down in the abyss in this uh, story, we can see everything. S- movie makers, turn the lights back on. We need to see what's <laughs> happening. I, like, the Lord of the Rings showed us that you can have the lights on and we will still perceive it as darkness. Just yeah. let us see what's happening. <laughs>
0: So this kind of takes us into the second part of the story here, um, where after she, you know, remembers the past, uh, we get a glimpse of her bracelet, which we now know is made from some of the offerings she took as a kid uh from I guess the altar, um, the tide collar altar that they use. Uh and that kind yeah, of something uh, she and- refers to. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I love that they kind of gloss over this bracelet too, yeah. because it's yeah, one, it's a part of her like default champion skin yeah uh, so it's like we get a story behind it and that's nice but these they're made of shells that were offered to the tide color and then even her mom is like yo you know those aren't yours and, and then nami's like but i just want to remember all the stories and then mom is just like oh you <laughs> and then they just we we kind of walk away from that and it's like hang up Wait, that is, that is not how like these you know monuments and offerings work. I imagine that if it was anyone other than Mom, Nami would be in trouble. But, yeah, or or maybe the Marai really don't care. I mean, <laughs> like, based I on it,
0: like if you listen to our uh, Nami episode, you know how they feel about Nami, <laughs> so they would have responded the same way her mother or grandmother would have, but. When she finally gets the courage to go down deeper, she immediately encounters her first monster, which looks like a void monster. It actually looks like Velkaz. It's not, um, but that's kind of what we have to pull from. And during this struggle, essentially wraps her up in its tentacle. She realizes that her the light on her staff not only makes her feel safe, but it actually puts her in danger, right? This is a reference back to the creatures that we saw at the beginning. And the same effect we saw um, guiding her, you know, guiding her is what's going to be her ultimate downfall. So she has to suck it up. And when she does, she she escapes the clutches of the tentacle monster. She drops her staff on purpose um, to be in total darkness, and then she just lets her senses take over and acclimate to her surroundings, which is kind of overwhelming. But she does get used to it.
1: Yeah and we know that it's overwhelming because Nami is even in her own dialogue talking about how with this darkness it allows your imagination to fill the gaps. Um and we we get like a bunch of really cool shots of her finally getting to a point where she can kind of get her bearings, but I do like that the monster that attacked her looked like Velkaz. We we know, well, Ryan and I know that it's not <laughs> Velkaz. Um and I'm sure we'll get to a point where we get to have like a Velkaz episode and dive more into like the void creatures. But what we do know from the void creatures is that they are not coming from underwater. But it also opens a door of what is in the deep. Um, If you've listened to our Nautilus episodes and our Pike episode, um, like when we're talking about a lot of these horrors, we're talking about specifically the ocean or more the spirits within the ocean itself and it's always shrouded with mystery no one knows what is actually down in these deeps but they know that they there is an energy there that calls them um and we've got to talk about it a lot before so since it is a big question mark it could be the void we don't know yeah it, it, it could be the void it could be something that is Like an old spirit, kind of like the spirits of Freljord. Uh, And uh, like if you listen to our like Lissandra episode, Sejuani, like a lot of these old spirits that kind of have gone dormant. But we don't know what it is in the ocean. We just know that it kills people because you can't breathe underwater.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we get another shift in art style here where it now goes to this rough, chalky outline, almost drawn childlike to represent the vagueness now of her surrounding without the light. And then she enters a cavern, not really knowing Um, what will be at the end of that. And if she knows, if she continues, it's not going to be easy for her to get back out in pure darkness. So it gives a sense of claustrophobia. And the way the comic is represented as well is it's vertically scrolling, right? So you're scrolling down and as you're scrolling down, you're seeing like this tunnel system um, as you go from page to page, as she descends into the cavern uh, before we get to kind of what wraps up the story
1: yeah and the shot of like getting to this wrapping up the story is so cool because it it is previously that childlike look and this cavern and we don't really know if it is a big cavern or if it's as like that claustrophobic feeling because it's nami's imagination filling the gaps and then the only change is just this bright purple light that is off in the distance and it's with This purple light that, you know, Nami saying to herself that no one could imagine, could have imagined this. It's not what I expected. It's so beautiful. And then realizing just that she has no idea where she is. She has no idea how far she's gone. And she's just asking herself, is is this death? Like, am I dead? Because leading up to this was getting attacked by these monsters and having to sacrifice the only thing that was giving her vision to try to get out of there. So she's like, uh, I think I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, you see, this is actually,
0: you know, very common in a lot of media that deals with these questions of like life and death or whatever, um or these very extreme moments in someone's life, where when you have a shift in tone, from something hectic to something peaceful or vice versa they tend to question i'm lost in my surroundings did i die
1: yeah it's almost like an overstimulation right it's exactly just, it, like going from zero stimulation to just seeing something that has a sense of beauty that that nami is unable to comprehend is just like okay no 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 i i know how this works that's god i've died <laughs> I'm going to learn what the afterlife is now. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) And artistically,
0: this is represented by this
1: zoom in on one of
0: her, you know, gaping eyes. Like She's wide eyed and it sees like the void and the skeletal structure, the jagged terrain. And then she ends up hitting her wrist, which has the bracelet on her um, against one of the jagged rocks. It kind of pulls her out of that stupor. Right. And then she hears a voice uh, in the distance, which shouldn't be there. And she thinks it represents death. Uh, She hears it say, I did not expect you in this place. And then she looks to find where this voice is coming from. And what it turns out to be is Rasho. And Rasho from the bio is the original guy who went, he was named the Tide Collar and was sent to get the pearl uh, and did not return. So that's who she's searching for. So she sees it's him, uh, but things aren't as they seem.
1: Yeah, and- so the we're getting to the point of like, this is the point of her journey is to try to recover the tide collar, And so then the, once she realizes that it is Rasho, you know, she starts throwing out all the questions. Like, did you find the pearl? What happened? And then it's like, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, the two of us, if we work together, we can get out of here. And then we finally get to see a zoom in on Rosho, And, I, like, I love that it's, like, that the zoom in on Rasho is kind of given this, Uh, like, it's not a lot of detail, Uh, like, and it kind of just reinforces how dark it is down in this abyss, but, you know, Nami can see enough that Rasho is not the same as he went down there his features are really gaunt and tight. Like he's just been starving for months. Uh, And he's also grown a third eye and his eyes have also changed outside of that. And it it is just a nightmarish look. And then all he's saying is you cannot imagine the wonders I've seen. We've played enough horror games to know (laughs) they are not wonders and we do not want to have seen them. Yeah. And when he says,
0: you know, he speaks of seeing the beyond and to find true power to save their people isn't the pearl. It's within the beyond. And he wants to give Nami that um yeah. that appreciation that he has come to, you know, find over these two weeks. So yeah. he he's gone. Right. And she senses that because she's come to her senses. Finally. Um, which is this whole journey is to this point, right? So she comes to her senses. She noticed something is wrong. And as Rosho approaches her, she sees his staff and reaches for it and strikes him down with it, right? With the light of the staff. Um, And this is the staff that you know. This is the staff that we know in game, um, which is the the Tide Collar. Yeah,
1: and uh like that the panel as far as like actually like taking up his staff and then striking rosho down is super cool because it's one we had no idea what actually happened to rosho like in her biography it doesn't tell us anything that's happened down in the abyss so this is all kind of new to us but it also kind of leaves a question of whether or not uh nami struck rosho down because we get this shot of nami just striking entirely through him like so instead of staff of this tide collar it's like a damn spear of the (laughs) tide collar but then after she strikes him we get this you know the blue energy it's this bright ocean color light that comes out of it that's completely abnormal for the scene that it's in and then what was Rosho just disintegrates? So it was that a figment of her imagination? Was it a manifestation of the spirit or possibly even the void that is that dwells in the abysmal depth of the ocean? That she just casted away. Like we don't know that. Like it, it it's nice to get like a, more details to the story without getting everything spelled out for us.
0: Yeah, this is a very real thing that you've probably heard about from like deep sea diving to um, people in submarines to people in space that there, there's a type of madness that you can essentially get um, from that isolation in such a vast space, right? Where you lose your sense of self. And this whole adventure is her teetering on that edge, right? Of losing herself while maintaining her senses and trying to complete her mission. And part of this is, you know, she doesn't know what the pearl is supposed to look like. So when she saw the purple light, she's like, is this it, right? Is this the space? And it's not. And grabbing the tide collar and that blue light that it emits is what kind of guides her to this pearl in the distance, which has a light that kind of, it seems right. And she goes towards it to grab the pearl, um, but it's never that easy, right? Even after all these never. trials, it's never that easy.
1: Yeah, no, no. Like everyone, like we, we're now living, we're recording this after Elden Ring has been out for a hot minute, so everyone <laughs> knows that the when you're at the end game, there's going to be a second phase to the fight. Um, <laughs> so, so she. Uh, she is able to like track down what is what is the abyssal pearl, and then while she's starting to swim away, this nest that it was in, that it was resting in starts to reach out and grab at her. Which th- I love the way that this is drawn out here because it's like showing that like that nest is coming alive, but it th- it looks very clearly like seaweed, but it's moving like in a tentacle behavior and it's emitting this like purple void light again. So it just kind of starts reinforcing that question of like, okay, what in the world is down here? Is it the void? Like, it is like, are these looks at everything looking like Velka's supposed to be a sign or is it just me reading into it too much? I don't know, but this nest starts reaching out back at Nami and grabs a hold of her arm and starts dragging her back down.
0: And she does something unexpected. She calls a tide.
1: Huh. <gasps> what? What? Tidal no. car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, she uses the power of the tide collar to blow this thing out of the way. And then she immediately decides to rush to the surface. And as she's rushing back, she's first surprised that she can find her way back. Um, but she's noticing there's no monsters around her. And then she comes to the realization that she has the pearl, she has the tide-collar staff, and that is what's keeping them away. You get this cool shot of her like flailing the staff and pointing the orb in another way in a very majestic kind of pose while these monsters are around her, pretty much like um, cowering in fear. And what she understands is that they actually fear the light. They fear
1: what they don't understand, whereas she feared the darkness. Yep. which she does not understand it's like hey the feeling's mutual it just flipped on its edges here uh but i i agree with you the shots here are super cool um like they they're definitely worth reading and then i do love that like as soon as like we get like these action shots of nami like the very next two panels are bubbles and water with a silhouette coming out and then the very next panel is just Nami with like this sprinting face of like, "We gotta go, we yeah. GTFO!" <laughs> it's like, like, forget, forget like how badass that she's been up to this point of yeah. like yeah fighting off the monsters and everything. She's done. She's done. I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, she's
0: definitely shaken, and it's it's a quick uh, shift from her getting to the cliff edge, seeing her people. They're surprised and they're excited, but she's just. She has this rushed feeling, because it, remember, it, well, if, if you haven't listened to the episode, listen to the episode that they're already behind on the schedule of getting the pearl to the surface to get the moonstone. Right, that's that's the whole yep. thing. So she she's rushing. She's like, here it is. They're celebrating. They immediately put the crown atop her head to officially make her the tide caller uh, by tradition. And we get a shot of her looking back at the cliff's edge. And then we get the final shot of a zoom in on her eye again, wide with the same shot when she saw the gaping maw of purple at the bottom of the ocean. So it leaves you on a edge of, hey, it's fine for now. She made it through. She did her adventure. But we know, especially from her bio, as it continues, that Nami's not the same person that went down into that that cavern.
1: Yep, and uh, it does give us like a bit of a message of hope because of the, like this last panel really does just have like that cabin fever kind of feel to yeah. it. Of like, like man, I've seen things. Uh, but the last words that accompany that panel is the I have faced the creatures of darkness. But they are no match for me. Yeah. So she she's really coming out more like um like Ash from the Evil Dead. Like, yeah, you know, uh, just like no, I I can take it. Whatever comes my way, I can take it. And that's the attitude she has. But uh, she did not come out of this unscathed. Like there there are still wounds that are there. But she's bigger than those wounds. Yeah. And
0: to wrap this up, it, it, you know, I want to say again, we said it in, in that episode way back when. Um, that Nami's an interesting character because from the way she's portrayed in game, you wouldn't know the type of personality she has. Without her backstory, you wouldn't really know the strength that she has that makes her different from a lot of characters, right? You know, starting off, as someone who was seen as arrogant you know because when you look at oh cute mermaid girl right like that's (laughs) that's what you see
1: i mean not even just like cute mermaid girl but it's a cute mermaid girl that has healing abilities yeah exactly so it's like oh it's like oh she must be so kind-hearted yeah and she just must be the most gentle person on the like under the (laughs) water it's like no she's she's an arrogant badass that was humbled by some experience that we didn't know until you know Riot started working with these artists to give us these comics exactly so so that little gentle mermaid has seen some shit (laughs) Little
0: Mermaid 3 coming out
1: was there a second one anyways with that
0: (laughs) as always thanks for listening and we'll be back soon with the next episode
1: take care everybody